This is Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Welcome to another edition of Be Heard Talk, your favorite show where we talk race, politics, and culture. And we do that all from our very diverse, not that diverse, sometimes diverse perspectives. I'm super happy to be with you all. Shout out to everyone who is watching us via live now. We see you, Tasha. Um, if you guys don't already follow me, please follow me at Miss Selena Hill. That's Miss with an M S. And if you aren't following Be Heard Talk, please do that as well. Be Heard Talk. Again, we're talking race, politics, culture. We have so much to unpack today. Um, happy Easter Sunday to all those who are celebrating. Happy Resurrection Sunday for all those who are like me who wish you could be a church, but you're not. But it's all good. Um, yeah, so before we get into these these main topics that we need to talk about, like, you know, the fact that Black people are dying at disproportionate rates from COVID-19, which is horrible, and the fact that Bernie Sanders is no longer in the race, again, something that is horrible, if you ask me, uh, let's talk about ourselves. So we have Stanley here with us, who I cannot see your face on Zoom right now, Stanley, but please grace us with your presence. Oh, sorry about that, y'all. Listen, well, I do tech, too, so I was working on our tech. We're live on Facebook right now, so okay. people can share this on Facebook Live. So we have Stanley here with us, who Oops. I cannot leave. <laughs> Grace us with your presence. <laughs> My bad, y'all. But um, I am doing pretty good today. The Facebook Live is working after three weeks in a row of trying, so I'm very happy about that. Um, Marilyn and I went out for a run, and she busted my behind on that, like, she was at least like three miles ahead of me the whole time, but I finished the run. That was my first time going on a real run in years. Oh, wow. I'm going to do more because like, what else can we do right now? I want to stay in shape. So we had like a mile, maybe 1.5, but like I felt that. I felt every single inch of it. We have a, our special correspondent here who we haven't heard from in a while, the Bronx finest, Evan Mastronardi, joining us all the way from the BX. Mm-hmm. How's it going, Evan? It's going well. Thanks for having me, and happy Easter to you too, Selena. I Thank think you. We're the two celebrators here. I wish I, I go to church not as much as I should, but I always go for Easter Sunday. I literally like for me as well. <laughs> that was the Sunday that I always went. So Sunday, that's the big one. That's the yeah, Sunday. that's the big one. But um, one of the happiest celebrations. Seriously. Um, yes. Yeah, so I'll actually be doing a Zoom meeting later for Easter. That's nice. The first. Um, okay. But yeah, I've thankfully been in good health. Most of my family's been in good health, and uh, I don't have a running partner, but I have a wild cat living in a one-bedroom apartment. So I've been running with him, uh, sometimes involuntarily, but that's been my my only real exercise here. That's true. Oh. You've also been doing a lot of Facebook lives with the. Famous Stanley Talouise, who defeated the coronavirus. He did. He is. I, he I, had Corona. Stan Talouise did have the Rona, and he he's our Rona champ. He beat it. Wow. Nice. Better. He said. Congrats. He said the secret is a lot of watercress. <laughs> a lot of what? Watercress. What's that? You've never seen watercress. It's a veggie. Uh, they're, oh. They're, not in Chinese food. Um, yeah. Kind of flat. Yes, I love those. You bite it. it yeah. Uh, but his mom has been giving him a lot of that, and apparently that's been, been helping. That's good. Well, we're glad that he's okay and he's feeling better. So, yeah, good job, Santa Luis, for defeating the Rona, the big Ronies. I'm trying to avoid the Ronies at all costs. 
Shit. If you didn't already get it. Um, so Tammy, are you with us yet? Yeah, I am. I'm so sorry. I like, I'm, I'm your resident like tech failure. Uh, <laughs> I'm an old school girl. I like in-person stuff. This Zoom business is really killing oh, me. Really I can't is. wait till outside is open again. Um, hey, y'all. Um, right. <laughs> uh, so my name is Tammy David. I'm your problematic host uh, coming from straight Flatbush, baby. Um, happy Easter to those of you who celebrate. Um, I celebrated today by calling my parents and smack talking Joe Biden with my dad, which was honestly an experience worth thanking God for. Mm -hmm. um, my parents are like the typical black Democrats, so I'm still shocked at how hard they went for Bernie this time around. Um, nice. And we're, we're all mourning <laughs> together. Um, you can follow me at Miss David If You Nasty on IG or at Rude Black Commie, B L K C O M M I E on Twitter, where I'm most likely going to be sharing incredibly leftist content and talking about how black people always suffer the most in crisis like coronavirus so hit me on the internet um, but before we get to those amazing topics we have lined up for you today guys it's time to hit the news roundup where hey. yes where we discuss those stories that made you guys laugh cry twerk clap or stress call your bestie um, so yeah today we're gonna talk about why Karen is not a racial slur Sorry, Julie, or should I say Karen? Um, why Tyler Perry remains a pillar of the black community. And we're going to shout out some of the celebrities and billionaires who are putting their money where their mouth is to support gaps in coronavirus relief funding. So first things first, y'all. I need to know, did you see that Twitter thread where Dr. Julie Bindle, no, sorry, not a doctor, journalist Junie, Julie Bindle said that Karen is a racial slur? Yes. Stanley no. was a part of that Twitter thread. Stanley, what was going on? Because I saw you tweeting. I didn't see the whole thing. It just is like nonsensical at this point to me. We're battling the Rona, not Karen, Jesus Christ. <laughs> So basically, this journalist named Julie Bindle went on a Twitter rant to talk about how um, people using the term Karen towards white women are using it to be classist and misogynistic against working class white women. Mm -hmm. She went on to say that although you know, the main perpetrators were men who were using it to be misogynistic. Black women and black people are not protected just because they're black by saying it. Totally taking away the origin of Karen in the first place. Um, she went on to say that it should be a slur and that it's an offensive term and it has a long historic background because Karen is a working class name. Um, <laughs> I mean, Karen I, is not a working class, class name. Karen, the Karen is the woman who doesn't season her food and puts raisin in the coast and the, the potato salad. We all know that. This is a fact. Well, there's that offense, but the main offense of Karen is, you know, using the police like customer service. I mean, that's like Karen offense number one. I mean, I like... I wish we did have time to really delve into the history of it and like where this name 
um, originated from um, and how and why it became offensive. But I mean, out of all the things to be upset about, like it, it just it doesn't resonate with me, especially as a black woman, because in society being perceived, you know, as a black woman, it's hard enough because it's actually much much harder yeah. than not having any privilege like i get white women because of their gender and their sex they don't have male privilege but they still have they're born with so much privilege and i think that if they want to be upset about something it would be more beneficial if they could be an ally and upset about people who are literally dying and being discriminated against and can't get jobs and like all it's like a plethora of issues that everyone else has who's not a white woman or a white man. And yeah, but then they like, can't I just don't understand. Yeah, but like, what is the real issue behind it? Well, well honestly, no, you first, Tammy. Well, I was gonna ask y'all, um, the real issue, quote unquote, that they're saying is that Karen is like the N-word for white women. So <laughs> like- That's where, that's where if they- If it's the N-word, why didn't she say the N-word, but she said Karen. Come on, we gotta be real Bingo. about it says who? Like, if anything, a lot of times I hear Becky being used in place to describe white women. Not Karen. I never even heard of it. Like, this is new I, to me. I heard both. But really? You can, we, ha we have to, like, look at levels here. Sure, if you're, you know, just minding your own business and somebody says, look at this Karen over here. Of course, <laughs> of, of course you're going to be mad. Of course, I'm only saying this because we're not on the air air now, because I know I think we can curse. Can we curse? I didn't actually ask. We tried not to, but... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, so I get why you're offended in that way, but to liken it to the N-word is ridiculous with all the history and oppression and laws. There were no anti-Karen laws, Karen. Jesus Christ, where are you getting this from? I mean, I got some anti-Karen laws in my house. They can't come here, so... <laughs> I, know the, I know the potato salad got some serious anti-Karen laws. I but, mean, oh goodness. Yeah. Well, no, you go ahead, Tammy. Well, in any case, honestly, um, I just think it's a ridiculous concept to say that Karen can be compared to a word that has literally centuries of dark and evil history behind it. Um, but you know what? Onto something that is not anti-black, <laughs> that is the exact opposite. Um, let's talk about something positive in our community right now. We have Tyler Perry picking up the tab for groceries purchased at supermarkets. Um, wow. So there's, there's people like this lady who talk about, you know, all all of these silly ways to make themselves a victim. But Tyler Perry is out here going to supermarkets and picking up tabs for all senior shoppers. Wow. That's Yo, shout out to Tyler Perry. His movies are horrible, but at least he takes care of people. <laughs> hey, I saw Madea Family Reunion way too many times when I was a kid. Oh. Look, it is, I, look, I love Madea. I love most of them except for Madea Christmas. I think that one wasn't, like doesn't wasn't done well in production but i mean from a fall from grace to everything else oh, tyler has done he has employed so many black and brown people he keeps you know these actors with jobs he gives them the salaries that they deserve he's he also in their careers because they can't get a job <laughs> no that's not true 
Now, if you look at Peacegate, like Taraji P. Henson starring role. Aaron Underwood um, was on In Therapy and he was in Tyler Perry's movie, so. Yeah, exactly. So like, what I'm trying to say is. HBO show. Tyler Perry to me, you know, he, he's also an advocate for entrepreneurship. He's shown us what, um, how not just working in Hollywood, but having some type of ownership, how that helps the community. Because again, you can use that as a platform to employ others. So, I mean, look, he has the money. I think he should be tipping well, and I'm glad that he is. I just hope it wasn't a publicity stunt. But um, nonetheless, this is a time where most of us are are suffering. Um, twenty, Almost 20 million people are out of work right now. So, yeah, we can use any help that we could, I mean, that we can get. Tammy, I have a news story. Can I share it with you guys real quick? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> All right. So listen to this clip right here, okay? Here we go, right here. We need you to do this, if not for yourself, then for your abuela. Do it oh. for your granddaddy. Do it for your big mama. Do it for your papa. We need you to understand, especially in communities of color, we need you to step up and help stop the spread so that we can protect those who are most vulnerable. This epidemic is a tragedy, but it will be all the more tragic if we fail to recognize and address the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 and an array of other diseases. That is General Jerome Adams, the Surgeon General for the White House. And actually what he was doing, he was blaming Black people for the, their high like level of infection and death from the coronavirus. He said because they're outside drinking liquor and smoking cigarettes. And he said that they need to stay inside. And I know that because Uncle Tom was trending on Twitter for many hours on Friday because of that, because of his comments. Had, did you guys hear this? What do you think? Yes. I Yo, when he said, do it for your pop pop, I was like, is he, he just said it. Like, it was, I was like, was he trying to rap? Like, who wrote this? It was just such a ridiculous, horrible opportunity to try to reach out to the black and brown communities mm -hmm. that are dying and suffering because of disparities in healthcare and a number of other systematic ills that have put us at the bottom of the totem pole yeah. when it comes to being our priority um to, to government systems but like when he said umbrella and granddaddy and big mama he said i was just like bro and then so someone tweeted him and he was like oh you forgot one person you forgot to say do it for your uncle tom and I was like, yo, <laughs> like, I was like, what is he trying to do? It was oh. horrible. Yo, I mean, yeah. listen, Evan, did you see that? Or is that your first time seeing that? First time, first time. The only thing, well, we can, I don't want to change the subject, but later if we have time, I want to talk about uh, what Fauci said, because he actually tried to say something decent. Um, Wait, who? Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci. Oh, yeah. What did Dr. Fauci say? No, he said that it's important. He didn't go with the shaming aspect of it. He said <laughs> it shows the deficiency in our systems. This right. is a time where we should show that, where we should focus on the deficiencies that have allowed for disproportionate effects of black people, people of color. So he actually tried to bring it back. And it was in front of Mike Pence too, which I love because mm. Mike Pence wanted no part of it, especially when he brought up gay people in the AIDS crisis and how resilient they were. Mike Pence like nearly <laughs> like melted. Anyway. Um, this is awful. I think it's the same person who tried to appeal to black Trump voters by saying hashtag woke, whoever the, whoever that was, yeah. wrote this. That's all yeah. I got. Yeah, that's probably true. Tammy, what else we got going on in the news right now? All right. So I guess on that wave of people 
trying to be helpful, even though it's low key their fault. Um, <laughs> we got some, we got some celebrities and billionaires now pledging money and stepping up to fill gaps in coronavirus funding. Really? Um, Twitter founder Jack Dorsey just pledged one billion dollars to COVID nineteen relief, which is. 28% of his net worth, which is a large sum for someone like him. Um, and, you know, we've been seeing Rihanna step out, donating millions, domestic violence relief, Cardi B partnering up with Fashion Nova um, to give monthly donations of $1,000 to people in need. Um, what do you guys think about this? Like, what, what do you, do you think that celebrities should be putting their personal funds into coronavirus relief right now? Well, I'll say this because we actually got a question, um, a comment about that in our Q&A box. Someone writes, Kylie Jenner donated hand sanitizer. I'll say this, as trivial as that sounds, yes, if you are a millionaire, billionaire, if you are a celebrity, if you are someone who has a huge platform, because COVID-19 is attacking so many thousands of Americans, taking their lives and disproportionately affecting the black black and brown communities. Um, yeah, you should do any and everything in your power to help um, this crisis because the government and our leadership in the, at the White House is completely incompetent. Mm -hmm. They have not taken the steps necessary to prevent the spread of the virus early on. And, and now we can't really trust them to get rid of it and contain it um, at, at a rate that I think would save lives. So yes, do what you can. Um, however, you know, this is the, the question that I brought up during our, our, um, our chat beforehand. I said, like, why is it that we have, we've gotten to the point where we have to depend on celebrities right. and the wealthy and millionaires and billionaires to actively play these roles? Like, why do they have to fill in where the government is failing? Right. Like, we should have scientists and researchers and like a, a full department that is well-funded by government to prevent pandemics like this, Bill Gates shouldn't have to be spending billions of dollars to find a vaccine. That's right. a problem. It is. It shows a deficiency in our government, what the government is supposed to do. Ideally, we shouldn't have a system where people who have made their money as capitalists will then use capitalism almost to fight capitalism. Yeah. But that's, where, that's the world we live in. I wish it wasn't the case. So yes, I believe if you have made a lot of capital in this capitalist economy, you, you have a duty to use it. And even though, you know, 28% of, um, I forgot the, the man's name, the, the Twitter co-founder, Dorsey. Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey. 28% yeah. of his wealth, it may seem like a lot, but that man is doing just fine after 28% gone. Yeah. I mean, please. Did you see what Kenneth, you know Kenneth Copeland? Mm-hmm. That... I can't curse again. It's, I'm trying to find other words. But that in <laughs> Yo, Evan, you're so Bronx. <laughs> in, can I, say, I can say crack because it's also in the dictionary. Head pastor with the boggling eyes. He yeah. has, he's worth $750 million. $750 million. And he blew at the coronavirus. He spit at it. Wow. So, yeah, we need real people money because well, that's okay. true. Well, so asked. I want to I want to jump in and answer BP's question um, yeah. because 
this is something I've been wanting to say. So BP asks, what's the ideal scenario? Government pay for everything, like everything, give out sanitizer, wipes, food. And my answer is yes, that yeah. is exactly what the government should be doing. And actually, um, with all of this celebrity madness, it's like, I'm happy to see, you know, a few celebrities step up and take care of their communities. Like Cardi B's from the Bronx. She knows mm. the Bronx is suffering. Rihanna is a woman that suffered from domestic violence. So she understands victims of abuse being stuck at home with their abusers. But make no mistake, they are still billionaires. And ultimately, I believe that billionaire charity is a form of, I don't know, um, exemption and like making it seem like they're doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, like billionaires should be paying taxes and because they don't, they're kind of let off the hook and then we act like there's some sort of god for giving a little bit to charity like no this money should already be going to taxes so that the government can be funding coronavirus relief so that we have the money to distribute hand sanitizer wipes everything like why why are governors and states battling each other right now for supplies right. and why are we on twitter begging celebrities to please do something these people are not government agents they are entertainers right. and while it is a nice effort you know it's not their job it really isn't their job. I mean, and the fact of the matter is, the government is us. It's our tax dollars. So our tax dollars should be getting used to take care of us. It's pretty simple. It's, it's not a ridiculous idea. And then also, Jack Dorsey, I very deeply appreciate what he did. But he's going to get that back in taxes. All of it. Tax write-off. He's going to make a, a lot of money off of this. So yep. let's, let's not be blind to that at all. Can I just throw in some good news real quick, Tammy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, please. DJ Premier versus RZA last night. The RZA versus DJ Premier, the beat battle. That happened last night at 9 o'clock. That was one of the best uh, hip-hop moments for me in a long time. They were playing at the, their best beats. Nas started trending on Twitter because um, the song Verbal Intercourse played, and, of course, Nas bodies that track. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. Uh, Stanley, thank you. Thank you. No problem, no problem. Thank yeah. you for sharing that like nice little segment before we move on into our first main topic. Yeah. Um, we needed that little bit of light heart yeah. before we get into this heavy conversation. Oh God, yeah. We are definitely into our heavy conversation, huh? All right, so I guess I won't avoid it anymore. So folks, thank you first off for participating in the news roundup. We're gonna start changing gears now and heading in towards um, one of the main topic, one of the main topics we're having today, um, and that's really talking about the coronavirus, COVID nineteen, COVID nineteen, and the impact it is having on Black and Brown people. We know that in the United States, over five hundred thousand people have already died from COVID. Pardon me, pardon me, have been infected with COVID, um, including over six thousand in New York State alone. But as we said when this thing first started to pick up steam. Black people are suffering worse because when white people catch a cold, black people catch pneumonia. So I'm going to do a quick screen share because I want to share with you guys some pretty troubling facts about what's happening with the coronavirus right now. So just bear with me for two seconds, guys, so you can see this. I just want to make sure you guys had this, had access. So can you see the screen? I can, yes. All right, perfect. So yep. attendees will see it too. The black pop, so on the left-hand side is black percentage of population. On the right-hand side is black percentage of COVID deaths. So Chicago, 
black people make up 30% of the population, yep. they're 70% of the deaths. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin, they make up 26%, they're 66% of the deaths. In Louisiana, 32%, 70%. In Michigan, 14, 52, Mississippi, 38, 71. And what you're seeing here is what we talk about. And like, I'm not saying this because I want to give an I told you so, but black people in all the states, but particularly the southern states, are having significantly higher death rates. In Texas right now, the governor is trying to relax the social distancing to get people back to work. Who do you think that's going to hurt the most? Black and brown people. Even in New York, which is supposed to be a progressive bastion, black people make up 22% of the population and 28% of them are dying. It's a much higher rate than white people who are dying in the state. And that is happening all around the place. And now people are starting to ask the question of why is that? But they're giving some pretty lazy answers. So we just want to take this moment here where we could just actually dig into this together as a team and really unpack, like, why are so many Black people dying? And I really want to start off by, like, just getting a conversation going, going like, between the four of us, and then we'll take some questions from, from those in attendance. Selena, we know that CNN is shocked about this all of a sudden. We know mainstream media is covering this, but they're not really getting to the big points. Why are so many Black people dying at dis disproportionate rates? I mean, the answer to that is, is exactly what we've been discussing for the past few weeks on Be Her Talk. It is disparities in healthcare. We know that uh, Black people in particular have not had access to healthcare, whether it is because they don't have jobs that provide healthcare, whether they're freelancing or they're contractors or they're just unemployed. We know that the, the unemployment rate in the Black community was always around double that of the general unemployment rate. So again, that was a big issue. The fact that uh, healthcare is tied to employment. Employment itself is a huge issue. So again, that again, access to healthcare is being is one of the primary reasons why we're seeing this. And as a result, because we don't have access to healthcare and primary care doctors, uh, we we don't have um, our health status itself has is also something as je is in, in jeopardy. Like Black people have the highest rates of obesity, hypertension, um, sugar diabetes, and a number of other things. Uh, simply because again we're we don't have that health care um another reason is you know I, I grew up in a predominantly black community in st albans in queens and i i would be remiss to say that i didn't notice how in a five mile ratio there's access to kg um kfc uh burger king um mcdonald's the mcdonald's is walking distance from a number of public schools and then when I go to visit my friends in suburban areas in Long Island, it's like the McDonald's is miles and miles away. So yeah. I think that another reason is like we don't have, and I say that to say we don't have access to healthy foods. A yeah. lot of us live in food deserts where we can't get mm -hmm. access to, to fruits and the vegetables that we need. Um, but again, because we have these fast food chains that are so convenient for us, that's what our kids are eating and it's affecting us. So that's another reason. Just real quick, before we go on to Tammy and Evan, I just want to let folks who are listening know we are launching a poll right now asking, um, is, is a COVID-19 killing Black people because they are less healthy or because of structural racism? So that's a poll. We'd love to get folks' answers. The poll is in progress. So make sure you take care of that. Now, um, Tammy, would you agree with Selena? Is 100%. It go ahead. Sorry. I'm so sorry. But no, Selena... Okay. 
you nailed it. Like we just, our neighborhoods are not prepared for health and well-being. And this is a structure that's been in place ever since desegregation, you know? Um, we don't, first of all, all of those things are correct. We don't have access to good and healthy foods. Um, we don't have access to health care. We tend to be essential workers on the front line. Um, but I want to talk about that other part of the poll because, Stanley, I'm, I'm torn. It's a little bit of both for me. Um, I also, yeah, I also think it's a structural issue where, you know, a lot of these places, um, when we saw that demographic, a lot of these places where you see um, black deaths happening. Look at Mississippi. Look at Louisiana. All of these places are areas in which policy favors the rich and the white. Black people in these areas do not have health insurance. These are places where Medicaid and Medicare get cut systematically and where, you know, people, black people may live miles and miles from their nearest clinic. So imagine when you're in a system where you can't really take care of yourself very well because it's both expensive and inconvenient to get the food that you need to take care of yourself, and you gotta go to work and make ends meet any way that you can, and, and you might not have the insurance or time to get regular checkups if you're feeling sick. That is a recipe for disaster in something like this. Evan, you live in Kingsbridge, which is a community which is mostly like Black and Latino. Um, how has is, how is the disease been showing up in the Bronx? Yeah, so I grew up, I went to public school too, which was predominantly with students of color. And the same thing that Selena said is true. I mean, the closest options were never the healthy ones. McDonald's isn't walking distance for me. And it wasn't until, and, and many other fast food places are as well, KFC, Popeyes. And I have had the chicken sandwich way more times than I should have because it's the only thing that will deliver to me right now. But that's part of the issue here is that, especially in times like these, think about what, whatever you have closest access to is what you will get. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, uh, others' options won't be there. But I want to say regarding your poll, you know, one what Selena was describing is one can lead to the other. So that's, and that's what Dr. Fauci was saying to kind of stem any sort of prejudice towards African-Americans, just like any sort of prejudice towards gay people during the AIDS crisis, which is like, you know, because of certain conditions, there may be a disproportionate statistic, but that's not the fault of the people. It's the fault of the system that has led to that. So yes, there may be a higher incidence of diabetes, but that's a fault in the system that has allowed there to be a higher incidence of diabetes because of the reasons Selena gave. Thank so, you. And just real quick, I just want folks to know who are listening. We, we are taking questions. Please feel free to um, submit questions to the Q&A and we will get to them. And we'll also try to give some space for folks to ask questions live as well. If you're on Facebook Live, leave questions in the comments. We want to make sure we're hearing from everybody. BP, thank you so much for engaging with the, um, with the questions. And for those of you who have not yet done the poll, we see two people have done it so far. Please complete the poll. Um, which we're asking, like, why are more Black people being impacted by the coronavirus? Sorry about that, Evan. Finish your thought. Yeah, I just have one final point that I think really encapsulates, you know, many Black people, people of color, are on the front lines right now. And, it, and nothing encapsulates that more than someone took a picture of, I believe it was the two train in the beginning of April, 
not March, not February, the beginning of April. So this was well underway. The stay-at-home orders were well underway, and it was packed. Yep. So forget six feet. Six inches could not exist here. And, it's, and if you look at the complexions of everybody in the car, there aren't many white people. There's almost none. So yeah. that is who is getting affected right now, the people that have to go to work, that have these jobs, that have to take public transportation. Yep. Over 40 MTA workers have died, and many of them are people of color. So yep. it, we are letting disproportionately people of color die and not doing anything about it. Yeah, man. So, I mean, I think I paints a really good picture of what's going on. But the question is, how many people in here are actually surprised? If you are an attendee, we'd love to hear from you guys in the chat. Like, are you actually surprised at the, the death rate of black and brown people because of the coronavirus? And, you know, just to make sure we're keeping people involved, Bianca has another question. How do we fix this, Lena? Do we ban McDonald's and fast food in urban areas? Do we provide health care to all people? Um, is it an issue of, like, personal morals, or is it systemic? Yeah, no, thank you so much for that question, Bianca. We appreciate you um, and your support. And I just want to also add, four people took the poll. It looks like about five people. And 20% of the people say Black people need to be more responsible. And I wanted to key that in to uh, the question that Bianca just asked about, like, you know, McDonald's and food. Because we do have, like, some people who think, like, oh, Black people just aren't responsible. They're not, you know, they're going outside. They're spending time outside. They're, you know, they're going to the Crab Fest in Maryland, we've seen like pictures of that. And, you know, they're not taking things seriously. And to me, I do, do think that we've seen those pockets, but that does not account for the mass majority of the reason why we are dying. And yes, everyone has freedom of choice. If you wanna eat McDonald's and, or whatever, and whatever you wanna eat, you can do that. But the fact of the matter is, we need to have more variety and we need to have healthier food choices in these communities. Like I personally have talked to my local congressman about getting access to these communities. My mother, she has went to stores and said, you don't have a diet or a sugar-free option in your store. And just by speaking up, our local bodega decided to actually implement those options for her. So you go. yeah, so it's about being informed. I think that the more informed we are, then the more empowered we are to actually take the action that needs to be done to keep our people alive. This is a matter of life and death at this point. And no, I'm not surprised, Stanley, because we've been talking about this on Be Heard Talk for weeks. We knew that this was going to disproportionately affect Black communities for all the reasons that we just gave. Now it's about taking the action. And I just want to end by saying this. Angela Rye made an excellent point on revolt state of the um they did an emergency panel about COVID-19 and she was she basically said that black workers are the only people that matter to white America and corporate America we've been saying black lives matter but the only reason why COVID-19 is getting some well the fact the impact it's making on black people the reason why it's making mainstream news is because without black workers our system of capitalism would absolutely collapse. So yeah. because they yeah. are dying in droves, that's why people are caring. And I thought that was an excellent point you made. Well, Tammy, I'm, I want you to, I'm gonna bring you up first because you haven't been on for a little bit, but I also want you to respond to Janera's comment. What she said is structural. It's a lost faith in the social systems that are supposed to protect us. Have, 
Do you think people are losing faith in the social system? Did you have any faith, Jamie, as the crazy lefty along with me on the show? Um, no, I didn't. And honestly, um, there's two open questions right now that, you know, kind of conflict. And I, I really want to talk about like the conflictual nature because it, it's exactly um, the two points that we ask in the poll. Um, Bianca says, sadly, we got to advocate for ourselves yet, like to the grocery store bodega, for example. But, you know, I agree with Genera. I think that it's structural. I think that social systems are in place to protect us. And, you know, black people don't have faith in these systems. So yes, we do need to advocate for ourselves and we do need to educate our communities and, and advocate for best practices in a crisis like this. But what are we supposed to do when we still have to go to work? You can wear all the PPE, the protective gear that you want, but if you're carrying it, you're carrying it and you bring it into your home and you give yeah. it to your grandma. And at the end of the day, like if we don't have access to foods that are proven to boost our immune system and we're working, you know, a lot of a lot of our community right now in the medical field are working 12, 16 hour shifts. Yeah. Are they supposed to drive clear across New York City to go get like spirulina and 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 turmeric like fresh ginger and turmeric? Like sometimes, yes, we do have to advocate for ourselves, but Sometimes we need to use our voices to make sure that the people in charge of advocating for us are doing their jobs. Because ultimately what we saw um, with the flattening of the curve was that we couldn't trust individuals to just stay home and not go to the bar and yeah. to not be outside being foolish. And it's not just black people, it's white people too. Yeah. Uh, we had to have de Blasio and Cuomo shut down the city and say, enough is enough, stay home. And so if we wanna see the numbers change in our community, we're gonna need to advocate for our government to protect us and to give us that paid leave. Yeah. Um, so we got to start wrapping up this part of the conversation so we can move on to the Bernie versus Biden versus Trump conversation. But I did want to give Evan one more chance to um, just comment because I know he's been waiting for a little bit. Evan, um, just to help round this conversation out, like what are some things that we can be doing right now as we're stuck in our homes to help protect and speak up for these communities? Because like I said in the beginning, when white people catch a cold, black people mm -hmm. catch ammonia. And right now the ammonia is really killing people. Yeah. It is. Well, first, I wanted to add to what Selena said. First, I think what she's doing and your mom also did to advocate within a bodega is really important because that that's the consumer coming and saying, I will affect your capital if you don't make these changes. So I think that that was a very effective way. I wanted to say that it's it's beyond just fast food, because my anecdotal story here is my place by me is uh, most of us know C-Town. It was. Yeah. Yeah. So C-Town became Key Food, which became Food Dynasty or Bravo. Like there, those types of stores, a lot of them, even that isn't a fast food restaurant, but the produce isn't fresh. The meat isn't fresh. So I used to think that things went bad in a day. And then I felt bougie and got plated, which delivered to my door and it would last five days. I was like, what kind of sorcery is this? Like, I had no idea that if fruit and vegetables can do this. So even our local places that are supposed to sell the quote unquote healthy foods aren't that aren't always healthy because they think they can get away with it in certain communities. Yeah. So I think I think it's difficult because to put pressure on on the dollar of the store means you can't 
really always get that resource. If you're boycotting, boycotting isn't an easy thing to do. You know, you, then you can't use the closest resource to you. So it's a mix between your own capital, holding it almost hostage for those places, and also, as Selena said, um, talking to your congressman and your government and advocating for them. Yeah. Selena, what are some things we can do right now to help address and speak up for black and brown communities impacted by this? Um, number one, one of the things we could do is definitely what we're doing now is keeping our people informed. Um, what you, another key thing you could do is keep your immune system boosted. That means double up on the zinc, the turmeric, the ginger teas, make sure you're taking, um, you know, vitamin C, all the things. And, and also just practicing some of the things that like our parents and our grandparents taught us. You don't wear your shoes inside of the house. Take your outside clothes off. Don't wear them inside. Wash your hands for a significant amount of time. Don't just do a little quick wash. Just basically, if we demonstrate certain etiquette and hygiene, we could fight this virus off. So just listen to what your grandmother's been telling you, basically. Yeah, that's a fact. And Tammy, what can we do? What's some action that we can take politically to protect and speak up for Black and Brown communities? I love um, Selena's point of like advocating within your own community. Um, I think like honestly calling the local politicians and just like asking for tips, advice, um, doing outreach to your neighbors, um, working with community groups and places like your bodegas to get information out there just so people know. Um, I think education is key right now just because this is like a, a crisis. Yeah. It definitely is. And, you know, I've said it two times, I'll say it again. When white people catch a cold, black people catch pneumonia. That is exactly what's happening right here. And um, a lot of times, no one cares until it starts to impact their lives. The way to protect black and brown people and make sure that they're not being negatively impacted by what's happening with these, with these pandemics is very simple. We have to deal with the fact that our systems are racist and we have purposely put black people, poor people too, but black and brown people particularly in bad situations. We oh. have the, the worst air quality in our neighborhoods. We have food deserts. A lot of black and brown people do not have high paying jobs. We block them from educational opportunities. And the only way we are going to shift that is a real political revolution. A revolution mm. that a lot of people feel is not here anymore because of who won the presidential nomination. But it doesn't matter who's running for president, who's running for Congress, or who's running for Senate. We've got to flip this whole thing over on its head if we're really going to stand up and take care of Black people. Now, with that being said, I want to pass it on to Selena because she's going to be talking to you guys about the presidential election, what it means for you. And folks, if you're watching live, please, we want to hear from you. Ask questions, leave comments. We're going to be getting those those now. So, Selena, the floor is yours. Thank you so much for that, Stanley. And I'm so happy that you teased political revolution because that's one of the main topics we wanted to talk about today. Uh, we know that, you know, Bernie Sanders, he officially suspended his campaign a few days ago. But back in February, he wrote something that was really poignant. He said, and I quote, when we bring millions of working people, people of color and young people in the political process, there is nothing we cannot accomplish. And that statement in itself was reflective of his theory of victory at the time while he was running in the Democratic uh, primary race. And that theory was that uh, socialist politics centering on universal health care and expanding um, different government programs would unite the working class 
and turn young people out to the polls at an unprecedented rate, creating a multiracial, multigenerational coalition that would eventually lead him to the Democratic nomination and ultimately the White House. And at the time, it seemed feasible, especially since Bernie was galvanizing thousands of people at his rallies. You would see like 25,000 people come out and he had so much energy on social media. Plus in 2016, he won more than 13 million votes from people who were much younger, less affluent and less educated. However, in the end, his approach failed. It was Joe Biden, not Bernie, who assembled a multiracial working class coalition in key states like Michigan, where Biden won every single county, regardless of the income level or racial demographics. Bernie, he had support from young people. However, they did not turn out in numbers when it came to actually going to the caucuses and the primaries. In addition, no one can forget Joe Biden's overwhelming victory in South Carolina, which proved that Bernie did not have a strong handle on black voters, a key demographic for any Democrat who wants to win a national election. Then on Super Tuesday, a few days later after the South Carolina primary, Biden won 10 out of 15 contests, and he basically gobbled up the working class and rural support supporters that were vital to Bernie back in 2016. Mm -hmm. So now that Bernie has completely dropped out the race, that leaves many of us asking, what happened? Why didn't the political revolution show up? And what's going to happen to his philosophy about empowering working class people that he's been pushing for for years? Will that, can that ever happen? So those are the questions that we uh, are going to attempt to answer today on today's episode of Be Her Talk and Unpack. And I want to kick things off with you, Stanley. Why didn't Biden, excuse me, why wasn't Bernie able to beat Biden? There's a couple of reasons, but the simplest solution was Biden expanded the base, Bernie did not. White college educated and, un and high school uncollege educated people turned out for Biden. Black people turned out for Biden. Young Black people and older Black people turned out for Biden. And Bernie just could not win the Black vote. And it wasn't just him. None of the other candidates was ever able to surpass Biden in the support for Black votes. And as until you're able to like kind of like get over that hump, you just can't win. And Biden was able to get that. But let's not forget the fact that also every single institution on the Democratic side was for Biden. We found out yesterday that Obama was making moves behind the scenes to help push it over to hump for Biden. We know that the Democratic Party did not want Bernie Sanders to win because Bernie has pretty much been campaigning to destroy that entire institution. We know that Bernie did not make attempts to reach out to black leaders. Um, Jim Claiborne, he didn't reach out to him. He didn't even reach out to Elizabeth Warren until after she lost her own state to see if she would endorse him. So he didn't do that work. You know, personally, I never thought that Bernie was gonna be able to win the nomination. I thought that his issues would, and that's why I supported Elizabeth Warren because I thought she would carry those issues. But it was still really frustrating to see that we got to this point right here. And, you know, I'm not pumped about Biden, but I'd much rather him than Trump. Well, hold that thought, um, Tammy, before we, you know, move on further into this conversation, you know, simply put, why couldn't Bernie beat Biden in your opinion? 
So um, I do think the black voting block had a lot to do with it. Um, but truth be told, and I, it, it kind of pains me to say this, black voters are incredibly loyal to the democratic establishment to their own detriment. We saw this last run and we'll see it again. Unfortunately, a lot of our communities are miseducated and misinformed about the state of politics in this country. And we kind of tend to think, well, it doesn't really matter anyway. Life is still gonna be racist. Let's just go with whatever you know the Democrats are telling me to do. Um, so truly, I kind of believe it was the Democratic establishment that tanked this election for Bernie because Yes, black voters did turn out overwhelmingly to support Biden, but Bernie didn't stand a chance when they sent in Bloomberg with his millions and millions and millions of TV ads to distract voters from the real issues. Um, when they sent in Elizabeth Warren to split the progressive vote among mm. young folks and educated folks who otherwise would have considered Bernie because of his progressive agenda. And lastly, uh, they failed by touting Joe Biden's Obama endorsement and his history with Obama because they put him up as a face of black representation because of his alliance with Obama. But Joe Biden was only VP for Obama because Obama was kind of a long shot and they needed someone like Joe Biden who was more uh, moderate, who was more, you know, in the Democratic Party to support him in the first run. So yeah. I really feel like it was the establishment. Well, you know what? It's so funny because you, it basically what I'm hearing, it sounds like you're saying that the establishment pinned Elizabeth Warren against Bernie to split the progressive vote. Now that is the first time that I've heard that theory, that, uh, that Elizabeth Warren was working for the establishment. Stanley, you just admitted that you were vying for Elizabeth Warren. Do you think that she was working on behalf of the establishment to take Bernie down, like Tammy suggested? No. What I do think that happened is that Elizabeth Warren <clears throat> was not happy that Joe's, I mean, Bernie Sanders campaigned so hard in her home state when it was obvious that she was going to lose, which embarrassed her further. And she probably also didn't like a couple of like comments that his campaign made during the race. And because of that, she got petty and just got silent when everybody started coalescing power around Biden. I don't think it was a big conspiracy. I don't think that Bernie is actually the best when it comes to strategically partnering up with people. I do want to make sure like we get some comments in from the Facebook Live. Um, so Karan Williams says, Black folks like Biden because he's cool with Obama. Sad to say, but it's true. And also the things that we pointed out are facts. Those were Bernie's faults. Brittany Baxter actually said in Facebook Live that she disagrees with Tammy's analysis. Waiting to hear more from Brittany Baxter to see what else she has to say about that. Um, and I know we got some com questions in the Q&A, Selena. Um, okay, yeah, before we do, I do want to just get Evan's voice in here because, you know, I'll say this. Yeah, Bernie did not win over the black vote, but neither did he win over rural white populations either. In Minnesota and Oklahoma, which were two Super Tuesday states, Sanders went from winning nearly all these counties back in 2016 to losing nearly every single one of them. In fact, Biden won 83% of the counties that Sanders had won back in 2016 because non-college, rural, white people were flipping from Sanders to Biden in 2020. 
And now, Evan, I want to get your 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 um your voice in here because it's not just black voters who weren't burning for Bernie. It was white people too. Of course, of course it was. And Joe always made Joe Biden always made it a, a true point to tout his white working class roots and ability to communicate. I mean, I think he took advantage of the black vote because he felt like he had it in the bag. I think that he, because he was on Obama's coattails. And I think he really, his pitch was to that group. He, he wanted to win over them and he did. And I think it's interesting you say that he won all those counties that Bernie won because in 2016, because if you look at, I mean, I, I'm interested in all of your opinions here. Do you, or, um, Biden's politics and Hillary Clinton's politics, I think are both neoliberal corporate right-center Democrat. But Bernie, that shows how unlikable uh, Hillary Clinton was. And I also think that shows a little bit of the sexism there too. Because to, to, for there to be that stark a contrast with very similar politics and placement in the Democratic Party, I think that also says that they didn't like Hillary Clinton more for just her politics too. Uh, but I just wanna say, just to the broader issue, I think it's a combination of both. Bernie certainly didn't turn out the communities he needed to, but at the same time, I agree with Stanley that Bernie does not coalition build as good as he needs to strategically. And he, he didn't make enough alliances with the black community and black leaders. And I think that's a detriment to him for the second time now. Yeah, and, and before we get to some of those questions, I wanna add this in, because I 100% agree with everything that was said, but let me add in this point here. To me, this election proved that Americans do not primarily vote because of economic class and because of their own class issues. If they're working class, they don't vote based on policies that would help them, whether that's universal health care, free college tuition, et cetera. What this shows Americans are voting for is they vote based on their own identity and a party affiliation. They vote even, even, even uh, race and religion is showing that identity politics and partisan politics are much stronger than I think we all estimated them to be. Because when we look at white working class people who are voting majority Republican and voting for Trump, they're voting against their own interests, but they're voting because Trump has preached a nationalist, uh, xenophobic type of rhetoric that he's pushing. And they're like, hey, I can identify with that, right? or whatever. And then when it comes to black folks who would, again, uh, benefit mostly from Bernie's policies because they are more so affiliated and group themselves as Democrats, right? And they and we have shown that we are uh, loyal to the Democratic Party. Again, they too weren't voting for Bernie. So I think that that's something that cannot be denied. Um, Stanley, can we read some of those questions? Wait, wait, wait. Stanley, oh, yeah, sure. um, go ahead. I'm sorry, I, I'm lined up in the chat rearing to go because there are two <laughs> questions that I want to answer and yeah, the answers the tie in to some of the points that Stanley was making earlier because Stanley, we're going to beef on this. Elizabeth Warren definitely was a part of the establishment takedown of Bernie. And let me tell you why I think so. Granted, this is just my little conspiracy theory, but I fully believe it. So when people when bernie supporters basically reamed her for having corporate pack support she clapped back by basically saying that bernie was a misogynist and that he told her that a woman couldn't be president that was the number one shade thrown 
to get him out in Iowa. And so that's why, that's where I see it started with Elizabeth Warren lining up with the party. Then as you saw it go on, you, first of all, she lined up behind Biden. She promised, she promised when she dropped out that she wasn't going to do an endorsement. And just two days, two days before Bernie dropped out, who does she endorse? Biden. So that tells me. Well, she, yes, she did. Elizabeth Warren hasn't endorsed anyone. She hasn't? No. Okay, well, then that's my mistake, because I saw her come out uh, for Biden. But in any case, I agree with Janera's comment that voting Biden is a continued vote for corporate America. He will be no different. We need a new government. And quite frankly, I think that Elizabeth Warren was touting a progressive agenda, but still liked the compromise. She was still willing to get in bed with billionaires. She was still willing to work with corporate America, while Bernie was adamantly not willing. And to Bianca, while making Bernie VP sounds like a good option, I believe that Elizabeth, the Democratic establishment's progressive sweetie, I think she's going to get the VP nomination, honestly, because Joe Biden has pledged to make a woman VP. And in order for him to garner the progressive Bernie Sanders voters that want a progressive policy, I think he's going to offer it to her. Stanley. Please, direct response to Tammy, who just, you know, talked about that, that theory, that conspiracy theory of Elizabeth Warren being a plant for the Democratic establishment to take Bernie down. I actually want to let Brittany Baxter respond. She's been listening, so I put her up. I unmuted her so she can respond. Brittany, the floor is yours. Hey, y'all. Long-time listener. Love the show. Um, I have a few things that I, like, have to respond to, right? Because I think we're forgetting that, one, Elizabeth Warren wanted to run last time and actually would have had a much, would have had significantly more success in running, but she decided to take a step back because she was told it was Hillary's turn. And the reality of being the president of the most powerful country on earth is that you do have to compromise. It's not a job for someone who is willing to die because of moral purity. And the reality is, is Bernie has positioned himself, right? And I am, as a Bernie supporter who used to work for working families and actually like, went knocking doors for him last time. I also recognize that the problem is that you, one of the clear traits of a strong leader is that you know when to compromise and meet in the middle. The reality is, is like we can't just die on those hills because the folks who are going to die first are going to be black and brown folks. Um, and I wanted to circle back and just say a couple things about Biden and why black folks voted for Biden. Black people voted for Biden because we know that white folks will talk all this shit about being progressive and they will go in that, they will go in that voting booth and betray us again. And so black folks know how to hedge our bets and protect ourselves and get in line and do what we need to, what we need to do, right? Like we at least know Biden, we know, we know what we're dealing with. And I think that it's, it's, it's kind of disrespectful and insulting to black folks to say that we it's a, it's a matter of being uninformed. We're informed by generations of watching the way that we are used as, as pawns in this country, that we're exploited by both parties. And the reality is that like, we can't use this moment to destroy the Democratic Party because at the end of the day, we can't equate the Democratic and Republican Party. The Democrats are, sh are trash, but we also understand the in in infrastructure and we can take over the Democratic Party. So I did, th those are just the things that I felt like. Um, and the reality is, is it like after four years of Trump, I think for a lot of people, they wanted a return to normalcy. And Bernie is too much, he was just too much, he represented too much of a shift for folks who have already been dealing with 
the tumultuous reign of Air Trump, right? Like, I want free college. I would not free college. I want. I would like to not have seventy thousand dollars in student loan debt. I would love for my son to be able to live in a community where the air is clean and it's not dictated. We're not dictated that we have to live here because white folks don't want to live here. I want. I want basic things from my family members. But there, I want immigration reform. I want all of those things. But I also recognize that you cannot push people too far too fast because the reality is that pendulum will swing back and they will react violently. And that's what we got with Trump after Obama. Thank you very much for that, Brittany. Selena? No, I just want to thank Brittany as well for chiming in. Um, I mostly agree with everything you said. So thank you for those comments. Uh, just to move the conversation forward, uh, you know, we, we talked about the fact that Bernie did not win over enough Black support. Brittany just gave a strong analysis on why she thinks more Black people weren't voting for him. She basically said that he may have been seen a little too radical or that shift would have been uh, too strong. And we see what happened. So maybe, you know, Black people are more moderate or conservative, conservatively thinking when it comes to things like that. Um, Stanley, are there any other reasons why Bernie could not win over more Black voters? He didn't try. Like when you're having a when you're having a rally at an HBCU, when you just got your behind kicked in Super Tuesday, and you cancel the rally at the HBCU, so you can go and rally with some white folks, that's telling me you're not really considering the effort it takes to organize black communities. You need, especially in the South, you got to be in those churches. You just have to, and because a lot of these people they vote on their religion, they vote on their morals, mm -hmm. and it takes more work. And the fact of the matter is, it's not just because Bernie and his team didn't organize hard enough. They had a brilliant team. They really did. But I think the hard lesson that I've had to learn in this is just that, like, everybody was not ready. We need to do more work to get people on our side. If you look at the polls now, though, everybody, most people think we need universal health insurance. Most people are with us on student loan forgiveness. So Bernie has done what his original job was. In 2016, when he ran, he wanted to push Hillary to the left. He never had an expectation to win. He's done that. And now Biden has to deliver. That's why you see Biden all of a sudden is saying, we should do student loan forgiveness. And he's increased it. And now he's talking about a public option. Bernie's campaign has been successful. And also shout out to Bernie, who's keeping his entire campaign staff covered with health insurance until November. Um, you know, Tammy, Bernie was your guy, just as he was mine. Why couldn't he get more young progressives and people of color like yourself out to the polls? You know, honestly, I'm not sure what it was that, you know, I, I feel like I'm plugged into this field. So maybe I have like bubble vision because, you know, I get all the Bernie texts. I get calls from Bernie supporters. I know when to go to the polls. Um, but I think it's exactly what Stanley said. He didn't try hard enough. He just didn't try hard enough in the areas where it counted. And on a national platform, he made a lot of noise. Um, but I think more local and intricate work with our local leaders and with our, you know, national leaders of color who have influence in, in different groups and areas, I think that would have made a key difference in getting, you know, our demographic out to the poll. As for young people, you know, young people don't want to go vote. Like they don't, they it's hopeless for them. You know, they, they saw what was happening in Iowa, in the news, and they said, there's no chance. We don't want to go. What's the point? Um, yeah, no, thank you so much for, for even uh, giving that information. Um, you know, Evan, uh, Bernie's out. 
you know, um, his ideas, obviously, uh, he has left a legacy of ideas, which has pushed the Democratic Party, but he's out the race. Mm -hmm. Do you plan to vote in the 2020 election, even though Bernie is not going to be running? Of course, although my vote doesn't count as much in New York. But, you know, I told you I was going to mention this. So I'm going to now that we've shifted to Biden. I don't want to... Uh, I'd be remiss to not mention that there are serious allegations against Joe Biden on sexual assault that have been going around and have now been published by major publications. So it is for everything else, putting everything else aside, that's going to be the hardest thing for me to know that. And I believe that person because of all the rest of the, uh, of, of the complaints against him and her coming forward and putting the whole picture together and the fact he barely responded to it. And it's going to be hard for lots of people, especially women, and many of whom may have survived, to bubble in that next to him. Because why do we have to vote for two men accused of sexual assault? <laughs> I mean, why is it down to this? It's a very difficult thing to do. Is he the better candidate? Yes. But it's hard for me to just, because that's just, we're rolling past that. And it's... Can you talk about Biden's sexual assault for those who aren't informed, Evan? Yes. So a, a former staffer, her name is Tara Reed said that he unwillingly, um, non-consensually uh, penetrated her uh, under her under her skirt. And she expressed that she did not want this. And he said, man, I thought you liked me. And she said, I wanted to work, uh, I wanted to become a senator one day. I didn't want to sleep with one. And now that has sincerely, um, it, it harmed her future career. And she told, I mean, Again, I don't want to hear, well, why didn't she come forward? Because we all know, first of all, it happened in the 90s. So there weren't even social media then. There weren't even people who could coalesce around her and support her as much. It was even worse then. We saw what happened with Anita Hill. And we saw how Joe Biden handled that one, which is something that I'm still not letting him off the hook for. So he, he's developed, a, I'm going, I'm believing her because of the persona he has created over the years. He wasn't very supportive of Anita Hill. We have six other women who said he inappropriately touched them. And now we have this person coming forward. So yes, I will believe her based on the other evidence. So I think it's very hard. It's very unfortunate to me that we're just rolling past that um, as a society because yes, he's the best option, but this is very serious and he needs to be held more accountable for it. Um, we're getting a lot of questions and comments in our Q&A box. We see all those comments. Thank you so much, guys. We see them, and we will try to adjust as many as we can during this conversation. But I want to throw things over to Tammy because, uh, you know, your guy is out. Bernie's out the race. Do you plan to vote in November for Biden or Donald Trump? I'm so excited for this question because y'all know y'all already know, but I want to make it crystal clear. I am not voting for Biden. Okay. My vote is my voice. And I have the choice whether to support a predator on the red, a predator on the blue, or other options. If I choose not to go to the polls, statistically, I become part of the demographic that shows that voters were not satisfied enough with the Democratic uh, candidate uh, to have gone to the polls because I voted for every other, um, well, I voted mostly in line with parties in New York locally. So it shows that I left that party for the presidential. Secondly, 
um, I'm actually considering voting third party because what do I do when the revolution has been halted? You move on, you change, you change gears as an organizer. Um, I, you know, I am very adamant on the fact that the two party system doesn't work. So why am I gonna throw my vote, my civic voice behind something that I believe is deeply flawed and broken? Why would I do that? Well, I mean, those are strong points. Stanley, do you agree with Tammy? No, and I think- Go, go ahead, Stanley. I think it's misguided and immature. We're literally going through a pandemic that could have been avoided if we had someone who was even slightly competent in office and a lot of people are going to die because of it. Who gives, who cares? Like, I'd rather have somebody that can at least get the job done and fight another day for the revolution. You, you give Trump another four years, you think things are bad now, Republicans are going to go all in because there's nothing to stop them and they don't have elections to be afraid of. I don't understand why you would put your political preferences ahead of the lives of millions of black people. I think it's irresponsible. And I think for those of you who are thinking of not voting in New York City, as Brittany Baxter said on Facebook Live, all it takes is New York City having a low turnout and New York can turn for Republican because upstate is very, very red. It's very white and it's very Republican. At the end of the day, I don't like Trump. I'm not very excited about Biden, but Biden is not gonna put kids in cages and Biden is not gonna ignore alerts about a pandemic for six months straight and then be taking essential materials from other countries and giving it to businesses so businesses can then sell those materials at a spiked up market rate so they can make money. We wouldn't be having that with Biden. And that's just a fact. Evan, uh, before we start wrapping this conversation. Yeah, I got to say something that Stanley, I agree with you, but I disagree with the notion it's immature. Listen, there are women who have been are sexual assault survivors if they don't want to vote for another predator that is completely their right and it is not immature and it's not misguided because there's this is what they've gone through so yes from a from a or aggregate perspective i agree with you because we, we're gonna have a supreme court pick soon when ginsburg is no longer there and who do you want donald trump or joe biden i want joe biden i think the immigration's uh policies will get better and i know for damn sure he would have held covid handle COVID much more in advance and, there, and people, especially people of color's lives have suffered as a result. But as an individual decision, I'm not for shaming, I'm not for saying, classifying it that way. If you are a survivor of assault and these are your options, I do understand why you would stay home. I would hope you see the bigger picture, but I'm not that person. I did not have that experience. So I understand why you stay home for a sexual predator. All right. Um, okay, yes, we do have to bring this conversation to a close. Uh, but before we do, uh, Tammy, I want to throw at you first the call to action here. What needs to be done to institute the political revolution that Bernie was fighting for for years? And, you know, that revolution that you seem to care very deeply about. So I... I'm a believer that change comes from the ground up. Um, we're not gonna see top-down revolution. The fact of the matter is Bernie was a great option and the most hopeful, but you know, we're gonna have to fight really hard from the bottom up to get that revolution. I think we need to be paying attention to local politicians that advocate for Bernie's policies. For example, voting people in like Jamal Bowman from New York 16 so that we can fight 
for Medicare for all in Congress so that we can fight for that um, in that level. I also think that people should be paying more attention to what goes on in their communities and doing community outreach and education about policies like the Green New Deal that will get jobs and protect the environment and more because clearly we're not going to see it on a presidential scale for a very long time. Evan, uh, final points. What needs to be done to continue to pursue the political revolution that Bernie Sanders was calling for? Bernie Sanders' revolution lives on, but like he said, it's not really his revolution. It's our revolution as people, as a, as a diverse community, people of color, people of different socioeconomic backgrounds. It needs to start on the ground with local officials. If you have to build it from the ground up, not from the top down. So we need to vote in local elections and we need to pressure people to vote to show how their interests are on the line if they don't vote. Stanley, um, final words on what needs to be done to carry out the political revolution Bernie outlined years ago. Survive. Bernie didn't outline a political revolution. The Black Panthers did. Martin Luther King did with the Poor People's Campaign. Harriet Tubman did by saving hundreds of black lives from slavery. We've been doing this work for years. The fact of the matter is no one old white man who yells consistently about the same thing is going to change the world. I'm really grateful for the work that Bernie did for putting this on the map, but black and brown people have been saying these things for years. Whether it was the Black Panthers with the first Rainbow Coalition, which consisted of the Young Lords and the, um, the Patriots, I forgot the White Patriots, I think they called them, or Appalachia, like whether it was those folks or it was Martin Luther King before he was assassinated with the Poor People's Campaign. And when they were fighting for basic civil rights, they had the choice between somebody who said black people should die and a choice from someone that said, black people should probably die, but I won't go that hard to kill them as long as they don't eat with my kids. Those were their choices that they had to consistently make. And what they did in that moment is they used the strength of the black vote to get concessions. Right now, we're in that space. We got to get concessions and do enough to take care of the most impacted people and keep on fighting because the political revolution can't happen if everybody's dead or starving to death. Thank you for that, Stanley. And I just want to end this conversation by saying, in order to carry out the political revolution that we need to be empowered, um, it starts with how we change how we look at ourselves. If you have a whole class of people who are identifying with millionaires from, you know, from Manhattan. I'm talking about Donald Trump and I'm talking about other elected officials who have a lot of money, who work in the private sector and then they become elected officials, but they're somehow galvanizing classes of people, demographic, you know, a whole population of people to vote for them simply because they look at themselves as they see themselves in that person. Something is wrong. Like there is a huge disconnect. And I think that with Bernie and his campaign, they were banking on those people, those a large swath of rural white working class people to vote and join their coalition because it makes sense. But now that we see it, they don't care. They don't care about their own interests. The only thing they care about is upholding their racist beliefs and values that they believe will put them in a better predicament of power. And Donald Trump and his, and his army and his campaign, they've been successful in being able to galvanize those people simply because of white supremacy and racism. So I think that at the heart of this matter is really doing the work that needs to be done 
to educate people on racism because it's not just black people who are being severely disadvantaged. White people are literally voting against their own interests because they rather vote for a racist and a white supremacist who gives out these dog whistles. Um, it's sad and it's disheartening, but to me, that's the real work that's gonna have to be done in order to get any changes. I mean, the changes that we're talking about will only be instituted by elected officials who believe in us and are gonna make those calls. We can't, you cannot, we, we, if we continue to have Donald Trump for another four years, this is not, I mean, it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. If we continue to have Congress being dominated by those same racist white Republicans, it's not gonna happen. So I think that, you know, we need to be smart about the 2020 election. We need to make sure that we're voting um, in a way that proves how serious we are about the changes that we wanna see. And then we'll have to pick up the conversation after 2020. And I'm gonna leave it there. I also wanna thank everyone for chiming in. We got so many questions and answers and commentary via the, um, the polls and the Q&A box. Thank you so much, guys. And we also appreciate everyone who is listening via podcast now. Please feel, fear, feel, feel free to share this show and tag us at Be Heard Talk. And also please become a subscriber to our Patreon account where your support will actually continue to support us so that we can talk about the issues and the causes that you care about. Thank you, guys.